Well, thank you, and take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me just mention, um, out on the table underneath the uh, uh, TV there on the right, there are updated uh, info cards, and I hope that you'll pass through there quickly afterwards and grab one of those. Um, if you keep these on your fridge, um, we don't look like what's on there, so there, there's new ones. And, and there's also a sign-up sheet if you'd like to receive uh, email updates um, uh, from the ministry there. We would love to add you to that, uh, to that list. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I want to look specifically um, at verse 4. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, the price of gospel advance. The price of gospel advance advance let's begin again in verse number one you then my child my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also verse three there's our focus share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ the year is A.D. 65. Paul is in prison in Rome. Previous imprisonment has resulted in his release and his continued ministry, but not this time. And now, urgently, he writes what will be his final letter, his final epistle to a young man by the name of Timothy. He calls him his beloved son in the faith. Paul, the aged warrior, is facing imminent execution at the hand of Rome, and he knows it. In fact, in chapter 4 and verse number 6, he refers to that when he says that he has fought a good fight. I am already being poured out and, uh, as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought a good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul knows He's about to be executed. And so he is writing to Timothy with apostolic authority and urgency. And yet underlying all of this, you can sense the love and the tenderness and the compassion that, that Paul as a father has to his son, his disciple Timothy. Beloved, I would remind you this morning that God is on mission to call out for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and people group who will gladly worship him in spirit and in truth to the praise of his glorious grace throughout all eternity. But that mission will not be fulfilled easily. You see, there is a war that is raging for the souls of men and women. This is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual one. And I would remind you that as you engage in God's mission as a local church and as, as followers of Jesus in this mission, no one is neutral. Everyone is engaged in this mission, whether you assume otherwise or not. You are this morning either for Jesus or you're against Jesus. There is no middle space. 
And the one at the center of this cosmic battle is the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel declares, the gospel compels us to know him, to embrace him, to submit to him, or we will one day be judged by him. And every successive generation of Christ followers advances this mission of God in the trenches of everyday life. And as we, as we have noted, this gospel advances not without struggle. This struggle is real. And every true Christian in this auditorium has faced the angst of what it means to faithfully follow Jesus in the midst of a culture that, that more and more aggressively opposes and resists the truth of that gospel. The gospel is always advanced this way. It's always advanced in the face of opposition. Do you somehow think that there is something unique about the day and age and times in which we live? Do you somehow mistakenly assume that, that no one in previous generations have ever faced it quite to the same level or to the same degree or with the same complexities that we are facing it? You see, the gospel always advances in the face of opposition because the kingdom of Satan is in direct conflict with the kingdom of God. And that's exactly where Timothy is. His fears are threatening to overrun his faith. His mentor, Paul, is in prison and it doesn't look good. And Timothy is overwhelmed in this third largest metropolitan city of the ancient land. He is overwhelmed by the, by the challenges and the frustrations and the struggles and the opposition and the rank pagan wickedness that he experiences every time he puts a foot outside the door of his house. We have all been Timothy at one time or another, haven't we? Timothy is floundering. He's tempted to give in to his fears and to his feelings of shame. In fact, Paul exhorts him in chapter 1 and verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed, Timothy, of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner. He's wondering whether identifying boldly and publicly with the gospel is worth it. The, the cost of serving Jesus in this Ephesian culture seems overwhelming. It seems just too great. And so Paul here is writing his final letter, a loving, explicit letter to this young, faltering warrior. Paul here is sounding a battle cry. And there are two overriding, urgent things in this letter that he wants Timothy to know. There's two things, two themes that he is, he is highlighting and calling Timothy to remember. The first is that Timothy's responsibility was to protect and proclaim the gospel. In every chapter, we find this theme. In, in 1, 13, and 14, 
and, and, and 2, verses 1 and 2, we just read that. Chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Timothy, you must protect the gospel and you must boldly proclaim it. But there's a second theme in this letter. And we see it in our text this morning. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Timothy, not only must you protect and proclaim the gospel, but as you execute God's mission to protect and to boldly proclaim this gospel, Timothy, I want you to be prepared. I want you to understand that you must suffer for the gospel. You see, the protecting and proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you must then be prepared for the suffering that accompanies it. And perhaps there has never been a more ripe time for this message to be brought to us in our day, in our culture, as we watch the moorings and the pinnings of our culture here in the United States swaying and becoming unhinged and we feel like we are being, we are being taken in all kinds of directions. And we're tempted to complain or to lament or to simply retreat into a shell, to, to, to preserve ourselves, to protect ourselves. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you really believe that the gospel is enough? 2022. Do you really believe that the gospel is enough? Do you really believe this morning that the cross is sufficient to meet the need of your heart and soul? To answer the deep inner cravings of your heart this morning? Your longing for acceptance? Meaning for life? And an assurance of a future. Do you believe that? Do you really believe this morning that this gospel of Jesus is worth abandoning your life to? That the approval and the pleasure of Jesus is of greater value than the approval of the word world? Do you really believe that God is more satisfying than the things that the world has to offer you today? This is why Paul is writing to Timothy. And right in the middle of this letter is this sentence. In the midst of everything else that Paul is, is, is challenging and, 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 and seeking to refocus Timothy's thinking, he says this. And by the way, if you read the New Testament with this in mind, you find that from the times of Jesus all the way through the apostles and the book of Revelation, this is a consistent theme of the New Testament. But we as Americans have missed it. Because we've enjoyed a Christian culture. We've been the moral majority back in the day. And we've missed this theme. Yes, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will 
suffer persecution. Blessed are you, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. When people lie and abuse you and all these kinds of things for my name's sake. Remember, remember those? I want you to see, as we try to unpack what Paul is, is, is exhorting Timothy to and why, he is, why this exhortation is so timely in Timothy's life and ministry, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Notice, if you would, that you are commanded to share in suffering for the advance of the gospel. It's a command. You see, suffering is a guaranteed part of living in a fallen world. I remember in Zambia, um, the first uh, church plant, Faith Baptist Church of Riverside, I remember one of our men in those early years, um, his name was Jonathan, and he came and he said, um, I have a cousin who, who, is, um, who is very, very sick. Would you please go and visit her with me? I said, sure. And I picked up John and Jonathan, and we, we traveled over to the other side of the city, and, and, and as we approached the street and the house, he said, now, she had been admitted to Kitwe Central Hospital, but they, there's no longer anything that they can do for her, and she's been sent home to die. And so we went through the gate, and we were welcomed by the old mother, and she welcomed us into the house, and from the, from the sitting room, I could hear someone moaning in down the hall in, 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 in the back of the house. Jonathan and I walked down the hall. The bulbs were all out. There were no bulbs in there, so it was very dim. We walked into this, this little bedroom, concrete floor, and a reed mat and a blanket. And that was when I met Josephine. And she was moaning in agony. I was not prepared, actually. You see, the devastation of HIV-AIDS and what it does to the body, an advanced stage. She, she looked like a skeleton with skin. The eyes were sunk way, way, way back in the skull. The teeth were, her teeth were protruding through tightly pulled skin. And John said, just last night, she was begging her mom to kill her. Mom, if you love me, please, please kill me. I remember sitting on that floor in that little reed mat holding Josephine's hand. She was cognizant and sharing the gospel with her. And her professing faith in Christ. You see, as humans, we all suffer the effects of sin, don't we? Our own sin or the effects of the sins of others. 
because we live in a depraved, sinful world. There are deep emotional and physical suffering. And that's not just limited to Christians. As humans, we face death and accidents and hurricanes and cancers and earthquakes and child abuse and rape and terrorism. And every one of those stories remind us of the effects of sin upon the human race. And though we may seek to escape and, and run from this kind of human suffering, it is inevitable it will eventually knock on our door. But that's not the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about in verse 3. He's not talking about that kind of suffering. He says to Timothy, endure hardship. Suffer afflictions, Timothy. This is the kind of suffering and trouble that comes in the, in, the, in the way as you seek to carry out your duty as a soldier, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. In other words, because you've received a command and you're advancing the gospel, there is direct opposition to the gospel. And for you to carry out your mission means that you are going to suffer. That's what Timothy was facing in Ephesus. This is why Jesus said to his disciples that, and invited them to take up their cross and follow him. You do know what a cross is, right? Some, I know some of us are probably wearing it. You do understand that a cross is a place of suffering and death. Don't you see when Jesus turned to the disciples and said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, let him deny his family, let him deny his, his children, let him deny those that are closest to him. They can't, he can't, they can't love anyone or anything more than me. Deny yours, even yourself and take up the cross and follow me where? To death. Where do you think he's saying we're to follow him? Why are we carrying our own cross? As he carried his own cross to execution, we're invited to identify with him in our world by carrying a cross upon which Christ's enemies will be happy to execute us in a thousand different ways. And this is what Timothy is facing, and he's wondering, is it worth it? Isn't there a better and easier way? Can't I just slide into heaven through the, through the low door? You see, suffering is guaranteed part of living in a fallen world, but secondly, this suffering that's commanded is expected by everyone who serves as a soldier. Endure hardship, he says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You see, suffering is not optional for soldiers. Chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says to Timothy, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And may I remind you that people willingly embrace suffering for much lesser causes than gospel advance. I think it's wonderful that we have 
patriotic men and some women who, who gladly join the, the military and, and go through all kinds of rigors in, in boot camp. And then some of them actually get sent off to places like Afghanistan or something. We do that. We wave the flag. We, we celebrate that. And I think we should, by the way. But when it comes to Jesus and his demands on being a soldier for him, we're looking for the, we're looking for the, the path of, of no suffering. Why does our Christian calling involve suffering? Because we live in difficult last days where people are lovers of themselves while seeking to keep up the appearance of godliness. This is what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. In the last days, verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unholy. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But look at verse 5. After that list, look what he says. Having the appearance of godliness. These are self-proclaimed Jesus followers. In verse 2, 3, and 4. These are people who show up at church and put Christian on their tag. On Sunday. I mean, this is what's happening in Ephesus. They have an appearance of godliness. They put a, a nice facade of godliness, Christian. But they denied the power of the gospel to radically transform their life. Why does our Christian calling involve suffering? Because the majority of religious people reject biblical teaching. We're seeing that in our day, aren't we? People who claim to be Christian, followers of Jesus, celebrating homosexual unions. I mean, you pick the topic, and you'll find Christians who are defend, claiming themselves to be followers of Jesus who are defending whatever the issue is. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. This is what was happening in Paul's day. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers. Why? To suit their own passions. This is the day in which Timothy was ministering. What is the price of gospel advance? It's suffering. And the very first thing that jumps out at us is that we are commanded to share in suffering for the advance of the gospel. Let me, let me, let me show you a second thing. God's omnipotent power enables us to face suffering that is required for gospel advance. 
It is God's omnipotent power that enables us to face the suffering that is required for gospel advance. Look at verse 1, chapter 2. You then, my, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, the fear of suffering. Look at verse chapter 1 and verse number 7. This is what's happening to Timothy. He's afraid that he might end up like Paul. He's vacillating in the ministry, wondering if he should, if he should be so bold, if he, should, if he should confront people with the gospel. And Paul says in 1.7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So how do you willingly embrace the probability of suffering for the sake of gospel advance? You need a power outside of yourself because you can't do this. I don't have a power that I can muster up. I don't have the courage within myself to muster up to go to these unreached peoples in Africa. You see, Timothy was tempted to be ashamed of the gospel look at verse look at verse 8 chapter 1 therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our lord nor of me his prisoner but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of god who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in christ jesus before the ages began Look at verse 12, chapter 1 and verse number 12, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed and am convinced he is able to keep, to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Look at verse 16, chapter 1. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, here it is again, and was not ashamed of my imprisonment. Perhaps Timothy was afraid of the consequences of standing for Jesus in the midst of the pagan culture of Ephesus. Whatever it was, his fear had led him to feelings of shame as he contemplated the cost of publicly identifying with the gospel and with Paul, who was suffering in prison for that gospel. We too are tempted to be ashamed, aren't we? In the midst of all of these cultural debates that are going on. We are tempted to be ashamed because we really don't believe that the gospel is enough. We're afraid of death or we're afraid of sicknesses or we're afraid of some unknown danger. Someone has said this, fear is the face of an idol in your life. And in that moment that Timothy was experiencing in which the fears were overcoming him and he was tempted to be ashamed of Christ and ashamed of the gospel. In that moment, you love something more than you love God. I'm not saying, it's a, I'm not saying you continue to love that thing, but in that moment, a feeling of shame at being identified boldly as a Christian, being identified with the gospel, Two things. There's a face of the fear is a face of an idol in your life, and in that moment you love something more than you love God. That's where Timothy is. 
But notice it's God's power in suffering that fuels the advance of God's mission. You see, it is through his power that he saved us. We read it in, in chapter 1 and verse number 8 and 9, who saved us and called us with this call, holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, God had saved Timothy through the gospel. Can I remind us? Just pause for a moment and remember that God did not save you whenever that was. 50 years ago for me. 50 years ago. 51, actually. God saved me. And he did not save you because he looked at you and saw anything in you that caused him to be attracted to you. I remember the first time that I saw Lori with fresh eyes. There was something that was attractive. She's beautiful. But that's not how God looked at us. You're like, oh, look at him. Well, if I could just get him, imagine what he could do for me. What a special lady that is. I need her on my team. God never said that one time about you. Never. Never thought that. Why? Because sin had found its way into every cell of your body. You were hopelessly doomed by sin and under the just condemnation of God. You were living in your sin because you desired it. You wanted your sin. You loved your sin. John 8.44 says that Satan was your spiritual father. You were in bondage, a member of the army of the kingdom of Satan. And then... By grace, Jesus came and through the gospel rescued you from darkness to light, from the kingdom of hell to the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Paul is saying to Timothy in chapter 2 and verse number 8. Remember that, Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as priest in my gospel. He called us from all of that to something that matters. He, he, he rescued us and, and set us apart in holiness. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you are powerfully set free to serve Christ on his mission, to live for his purposes, to bring him glory by joining him in his mission of proclaiming and protecting the gospel. Timothy, this is why the saving faith that, that was in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am convinced is in you also. That's why. We live out this other life, this holy life, in the context of our home and our place of work. We exercise our gifts. And we live lives that are transformed by this gospel. 
God's powering suffering is the fuel that advances gospel mission. It is through his power that he saved us. It is through his power that he called us to a holy calling. And it is through his power that we embrace the cost of discipleship. My child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul is calling Timothy to identify with the very thing that has led to Paul's conviction by Rome. Paul is suffering, and he says it in chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7. Paul is suffering because he embraced the gospel, and now he is calling Timothy to do the same thing. Remember the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11? At the conclusion of Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 12, there's this statement, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The disciples in Acts chapter 5, after being beaten for the proclamation of the gospel in Jerusalem, verse 41, they says they went from the council rejoicing that they were deemed worthy to suffer for his namesake. It was a source of, of, of privilege and joy. How? Because they were empowered by God for this mission, which includes suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. By the way, the last time I checked, the death rate in the world is 100%. Everybody's going to die at some point. We know the secret because God appointed it. God has appointed that time for every one of us. The means by which it happens is, is just in the divine providence of God. COVID, car wreck, cancer. The death rate's 100%, and, and, and our prayer ought to be, and Timothy's prayer should be, God help me die well. I said three things. Let me throw the last one at you very quickly. Price of gospel advance. Remember, you're commanded to share in suffering for the advance of the gospel. Number two, God's omnipotent power enables you to face the suffering required for that gospel advance. And thirdly, this gospel advance is something that is worth suffering for. Here's the exhortations. Chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. The, the Apostle Paul exhorts Timothy to follow the Apostle's doctrine, to receive it. He actually says to him, embrace the things. Embrace the gospel personally. Follow the pattern of sound words. Verse 9. This grace that came to us in Christ Jesus Chapter 1 and verse 10. And the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Verse number 14. The things that you have heard from me. Chapter 2 and verse number 2. Timothy had received this doctrine, this gospel. He'd received it from the Apostle Paul himself. And he was to receive it. He was to follow it. Chapter 1 and verse 14. The second command that 
First one in verse 13 is follow the pattern of sound words. Second one in verse 14 is by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. Guard the apostles' doctrine. Receive it and love it. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, guard the gospel. Be sober-minded. Get serious because the mission is for real. And then in verse 2 and 3 of our text, you're to share, you're to entrust these truths, these gospel truths to faithful men, regardless of the opposition that you may face. If you were to follow the apostles' doctrine, we're to guard the apostles' doctrine, and we're to deposit the apostles' doctrine. We're to share it. Do the work of an evangelist. Be a missionary. Share the gospel. Be intentional. Speak the gospel backed up by aggressive living of the gospel through transformed lives. Chapter 4 and verse number 5 Paul says to Timothy, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. There it is. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. What is your ministry? Christian, here this morning, you have been called for holiness that reflects the character and the nature of God. And you have been called for gospel witness. In your place, in, in where, where God has strategically and sovereignly placed you. Fulfill your ministry. I meet people that are always looking over the fence. They're, they're always looking at what they're going to do. Oh, I hope to. I'm going somewhere. I, I'm not doing anything here, but if you just send me to Zambia, then I'll tell people about Jesus. Then I'll teach Sunday school. Fulfill your ministry. Regardless of your position in the church, regardless of your occupation or your family situation or your past history, invest the doctrine that God has entrusted to you into others. Be a faithful disciple. Go make disciples. By intentionally rubbing your life off on someone else. We'll wrap this up by inviting you to look at one last text with me, Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 32. Hebrews 10, 32. You see, the apostolic call to Timothy is to share in Christ's sufferings. The story that you are living is not about you. It is about God's eternal purposes and your part in that purpose. It's about him. It's his story, not your story. Hebrews 10.32 And recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, after you were, you were delivered from darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Look at verse 33. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So some of you were manhandled by the state. You were put on public ridicule, public display. You're like the Apostle Paul. You're thrown into prison for your faith. Some of you, that was God's call. But for some of the rest of you, your call was 
to identify with those and to come alongside of those who are suffering those things. Isn't that what Paul is exhorting Timothy to do? Share in my sufferings through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 34, Hebrews 10, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You see, when people like Epaphroditus shows up at the, at the Roman jail to visit and feed Paul and to encourage him, he publicly identifies himself with Paul and with his gospel at the risk of the state seizing his property and his business. And he said, and you did it joyfully. Because you had a view for the eternal. Because Jesus is enough. And our life is so short. And the only thing that matters is Jesus and his mission of redeeming humankind who will join us as worshipers of the Lamb who was slain for all eternity. Beloved, your satisfaction will not be found in fame, acclaim, or achievement Your satisfaction is found in your ability through the power of God to fulfill Christ's purpose for your life. This is our motivation for proclaiming the gospel and for suffering for it if need be. There are still people who have yet to be reached in Concord and in these surrounding areas. And there are 987 unreached people groups who have yet to be reached in Africa. They have never heard... Every one of us here in this auditorium will die. But how terrible it would be to die having never lived for anything. In 1709, Isaac Watts penned these words as the conclusion to a sermon that he had just preached from 1 Corinthians 16, 13, which says this, Watch. Stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. This is what he wrote. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his name or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the tide? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I should reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain supported by your word. Thy saints in all this glorious war shall conquer though they die. They see the triumph from afar by faith's discerning eye. And when that illustrious day shall rise and all thy armies shine in robes of victory through the skies, the glory shall be thine. 
Paul has the final word. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the gospel of God. Father, may the instruction and exhortation of the Apostle Paul to Timothy be applied as needed in this generation, in this auditorium, to each one of us, by your Holy Spirit. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit that helps us to live by faith and not fear. that enables us to be courageous, not coward. Make us the kind of set-apart people that reflect the glory of God in the settings to which you have placed us. And may you do a work of grace by your Holy Spirit to call many, many, many sons to glory. We pray in Jesus' name.